Take a Bibles, please, and turn to Romans chapter 6. And uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you, Lord God, that we can come together, that we can worship you, Father God, in this place. Thank you, Lord, that we can broadcast uh, this service too. And we do pray that, Lord, tonight, both here in this place and over this broadcast that you would just undertake, that you minister to our heart's needs, Father God, that you would stir us, Father, through your word, encourage us by your word, that, Father God, that your word would not return to you void, but would accomplish that which you would have it to accomplish in our lives. Lord, give me wisdom, I pray, from on high that I might uh, speak your word in truth. Father, I might have clarity of thought so that I might have clarity of speech. And Lord, that uh, you'd be able tonight to get all the praise and all the glory. Guide our time now, we pray, in and around your word. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In our study of Romans chapter 6, we have noted that the theme of Romans chapter 6 is the theme or the doctrine of sanctification, that you and I are to be set apart for the glory of God. And we all know that none of us are able to be sinless, this side of glory, that we all do sin. But as we've seen in Romans chapter 6, God's desire for you and I is that we should not sin. God doesn't want you and I as believers to live in sin. He wants us to live in victory, to be sanctified. And indeed, God's given us the power to have the freedom from sin. And the Lord gives us that recipe, that uh, direction for sanctification here in Romans chapter 6 by looking at three words. He tells you and I as believers we're to know some things, we're to reckon some things, and we're to yield ourselves unto God. The last time we were in Romans chapter 6, we saw that how, we, how we are to yield in verses 12 and 13 where it says, Let not sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof, neither yield your members as instruments of, of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield your members unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And we said that yielding was an act of the will, that you and I choose to yield to sin, or we choose to yield to God. Now tonight, we want to start considering the second question that we ask, which is why we should yield, or why should we yield to righteousness? Why should we yield ourselves to God? Well, firstly, because we have found favor with God. We have found favor with God. Look in verses 14 and 15. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Paul here gives to you and I as believers the basis upon which he can appeal to you and I to yield ourselves unto God. But as believers we ought to yield and he tells us here what is the basis for that plea? What is the basis for that instruction? And the basis for his instruction for you and I to yield is nothing less than the grace of God. The grace of God that is extended to us, verse 14, 
For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. Now Paul has proved to you and I in Romans so far that we're not saved by keeping the law. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. Now to him that worketh not, sorry, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And then in verse 5, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. The reward is not reckoned of grace when we work, but debt. But what is the reward to us is when we don't work. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Paul has also explained in Romans chapter 4 that we don't live under the law. In fact, we're told in God's word that we're saved by grace. And that does not give you and I an excuse to sin. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We've been told that when you and I are saved, you and I should not sin. Indeed, grace does not give you and I an excuse to sin. In fact, grace gives you and I a reason to obey, which is verses 14 and 15. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Grace now is the motivation for yielding. Grace is the reason for not sinning, verses 1 and 2, and now grace is the reason for you and I to yield to God. Now we all know what the law is able to do. We know the law is able to do many things. It commands us, it demands things of us, it rebukes us, it condemns us, it restrains us, it even points us to another, it points us to Jesus Christ. But the law can never save us. No man is justified by the works of the law. We are all saved by grace through faith. And grace can save us because of what Jesus Christ did for us upon the cross of Calvary. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What the law could not do, grace did. What the law could not do, God did by sending his Son to die upon the cross of Calvary and give grace unto you and I. It saved us. But now here in Romans chapter 6 and verses 14 to verse 23 in particular, and verses 14 and 15 as we're looking at right now, we find that grace not only saves us, but the Lord reminds you and I here that grace also dethrones sin. It dethrones sin. It destroys sin's leadership over our lives. And it enables you and I, enables us as believers, to offer ourselves unto God in obedience to him. The same grace that saved you and I, the same grace that delivered us from the wretches of sin and delivered us unto righteousness, that same grace, that same unmerited favor now empowers you and I by dethroning sin and empowers you and I to enable you and I to live for God. 
This grace of God is a wonderful thing. Not only saved by grace, but you and I can live by that same grace. Now Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. The phrase shall not have dominion in the Greek is what's called a future indicative. Now as always, I'm not going to give you a Greek lesson tonight, so don't panic. Okay? It's just called a future indicative, and the future part in particular is important. But what it means is Paul is making a statement of fact here, the indicative. It's a statement of fact. This is not a prediction. This is not something that's predicted by Paul, but this is a statement of fact by him. Paul is not saying that sin may not have dominion over us, or sin shall potentially not have dominion over us. But he uses the future indicative, so its meaning is it just will not have dominion over us. In the future, in context of our salvation, sin will not have dominion over us. It's a statement of fact. Because of grace, sin will not have dominion over us. For sin shall not have dominion over you, why? Because you are not under the law, but under grace. Because of God's grace, sin will not have dominion over us. Statement of fact. Now the word dominion here is to have mastery over, or to lord it over. Sin is not our master. Sin is not our lord. And sin cannot be our master and be our lord by its own efforts, we're set free from that. What Paul is doing here is summarizing what happened in verses 12 and 13, where we're told to do not let sin reign, and when we yield ourselves to God. It says in verses 12 and 13, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it to the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Sin shall not have dominion over us when we do that which is recorded for us in verses 12 and 13. When you and I recognize these two things, when you and I do not let sin reign in our lives and when you and I yield ourselves to God and not yield ourselves to sin, then sin will not have dominion over us us. And the reason for that is because you and I are not under the law, but under grace. Now, it says here in verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And the word the is not in the original language, it's actually in the Greek. The definite article the shouldn't be there as such, because it should read, we're not under law. The idea is that now that you and I are saved, we're under grace, we're not under any legal system of any kind. There is no legal system of any kind that has dominion over our lives because you and I are set free by grace. We're under grace. We're under a system where transgressions are already paid for. The law, which reveals sin, no longer governs us. Our sin's been paid for. Sin has been taken from our account. 
the old account was settled long ago. Death has been cancelled because of the death of Christ. You see, you and I stand in a position in the grace of God Whereas God looks at you and I, he sees us standing in Christ's righteousness. The old account is settled. Sin has been dealt with. You and I are no longer under the law. We're under grace. And the judgment and penalty and the rulership of the law is no longer over us. We are in Christ, cannot be lorded over by sin. That's what he's saying. That is unless you and I walk right into it, and voluntarily submit ourselves to it. You see, here's the law, and here is sin. You and I have been delivered from that, and we've been placed under grace. And you and I do not have to live under sin anymore. It does not have dominion over us. It's no longer our Lord. And the only control it has over us is what we give to it. When you and I voluntarily walk in its paths, that's when sin has dominion over us. But legally, we're under grace. And legally, the law has no dominion over us. Legally, the law has no power over us. Legally, the law is not our master. God is. And Paul puts his strong words in verse 15. But he says this, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Since we're no longer under the law, since the law is no longer the dominion over us, since the law is no longer our master, but we're under grace, then shall we sin? Does it really matter if we sin? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? The phrase, shall we sin, indicates dabbling in sin. This is not a continual habitual sin, which is described in the reference in chapter 6 verse 1 where he asks the question what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound this is a different phraseology he's not talking about continual habitual sin one commentator explained it this way the verb in verse 1 is in the present subjunctive speaking of habitual continuous action the verb in verse 15 is an Arab subjunctive referring to a single act so here he's getting very specific with us. Shall you and I do specific sins? Is it okay to sin? Because we're under grace. Now verse 14 stated that because we're under the law, we're under grace. We cannot come under sin's condemnation and sin's dominion. Paul has convinced us that a lifestyle of habitual sin is not compatible with one whose life has been changed by grace. That's the whole point of verses 1 through 14. Living in habitual sin, living continually a sinful life, is not compatible with the grace life that you and I now have. To be habitually sinning, to live a wicked sinful life now that we're saved, is contrary to our position in Christ. That's verse 14. So the question here in verse 15 is then, what about the occasional sin? What about the sin that we do here and there? The 
occasional things. You know, many of us don't struggle with daily living in sin. We're not backslidden. We're not living away from God. We're not living in total disobedience to Him, not caring about what God wants for our lives. Most of us, we struggle with the one sin here and the one sin there and the, the besetting sins, as Hebrews 13 calls it. So the question is, if we're under grace and not under law, should we be concerned about the little sins here and there? Now, of course, no sin is a little sin. My father used to remind me often to steal a pin is as big a sin as to steal a thousand pounds. Okay, so uh, uh, there is no difference in God's eyes with sin. Sin is sin. Okay, so I'm not trying to minimize that some sins are not as great as other sins. All sin is sin. But what I am pointing out is, you know, that, that in contrast to someone who has backslidden and habitually living in a backslidden sinful condition, most of us don't live there. Most of us have just the sins we deal with from day to day, sometimes not even daily, sometimes only weekly, sometimes maybe monthly. We have a, a besetting problem that comes upon us. What about that? Does that really matter? You see, if the law can't condemn me anymore, and it can't, because I'm not under its dominion, I'm under grace, if the law can't condemn me, and if we don't relate to the law, but grace, should we then be able to sin and get away with it? Sin and not worry about it? Now, it's a reasonable question. I mean, and really, when you've been reading Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6, even as far back as Romans chapter 4, these are reasonable questions. If you and I are under grace, if you and I are saved by grace, and nothing we can do can stop us being saved by grace, we can't lose our salvation. We're eternally secure. Our salvation is dependent upon the grace of God, not upon my works. And my salvation is dependent upon the, the gift of salvation, not upon my works. If I cannot lose my salvation, if I am under grace and I'm not under law, then it doesn't matter if I sin. As I said, it's a reasonable question, and one that I believe has often been asked and often acted upon quite unwittingly by many believers. You know, Christians often excuse their sin or their slackness or their low performance of living for the Lord by saying, well... We're not under the law, we're under grace. And they use this as an excuse for their sin. They use this as a concept, as a license to sin. So Paul quite importantly addresses the question of should I be able to sin now that I'm under grace, but on the law? Should I be able to get away with my sin because I'm under grace and under the law? Well, Paul's short answer is at the verse, end of verse 15. God forbid. He doesn't, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, who usually is not very concise with his words, okay? Paul is usually very verbose with his words. And if you haven't noticed that in Romans, 
then you haven't really been reading along with us. Because Paul tends to be very long and complicated in saying what often turns out to be a very simple fact. Well, in this case, Paul leaves you in no doubt as to what his answer is. God forbid. <laughs> May it not be. Or, no, he's saying. It's not all right to sin. Because we're not under the law, but under grace. Even though you and I are free from the law, we have no right to sin. Why? Because God's unmerited favor, God's grace to us, should compel us to live for him. When you and I look at what God has given to us, at salvation, when we look at the grace of God, when we look at the unmerited favor of God, when we consider all that we have in Christ and we do not deserve one skerrick of it, when we look at all of that and then we look at what sin has to offer, why would you choose sin over grace? The grace of God should compel you and I because we've found favor with God because of his grace, it should compel you and I, it should move you and I, it should give you and I a motive for service and godly living. It should compel you and I to yield ourselves to God. Why yield? Well, firstly, because we have found favor with God through grace. Why yield? Well, then secondly, because we have received or we found the facts about yielding. We have found the facts about yielding. Verse 16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are, to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now, Paul illustrates for us what he's been talking about by giving to you and I an illustration of the master-servant relationship. He does this to explain to us how even though we are free, we still are to yield ourselves to something. In other words, we're still servants. Even though you and I have been set free from the bondage of sin, that you and I are no longer slaves to sin, you and I are no longer in the slave market of sin, we have been redeemed and we've been purchased out of the slave market, and you and I are now being justified, that does not mean that you and I are no longer in service. You and I are still servants. Even though we are free, we are still to yield ourselves unto God. Notice what he says in verse 16. No, ye not. What he's saying is this, don't you know this? Don't you know this? Don't you understand this principle, he's saying. Don't you have a complete knowledge of this fact, of what I'm saying to you? Don't you know that because of the freedom we have in Christ, we should willingly serve him? Don't you know because of the grace that God has bestowed upon you, we should now choose to serve him. And in case you and I don't know this, in verse 16, he goes to explain it. 
He says, to whomsoever you yield, then we are its servants. Notice verse 16. No, you're not. That to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. Whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Now the word servants here in verse 16 is the Greek word for bond slave. This is not a slave. This is not the slave who's been paid for, bought for in the slave market. This is a slave who has been set free. In the Roman world, there were those who were slaves who were born into slavery. There were slaves, those who were bought as slaves and made slaves. And then there were those who were free, but were still slaves. These were bond slaves. In other words, what happened was their master, either because they'd been born in the household and he loved them, decides to set them free, gives them their freedom, or because he'd bought them in the slave market to set them free, they, in gratitude to their master, chose to remain a slave. They were bond slaves. And often the signification of that was that they would take their ear to the door post. They would then take a, an organ, kind of a nail, and they'd stick it up against your ear, and they would hammer a hole through your ear and stick a ring in the ear to show that you were a bond slave. And everybody knew that you were a free slave. You chose to continue to be a slave. So here in verse 16, what he's saying is this. You and I have been set free from the slave market of sin. We've been freed from the dominion of sin. You and I have been placed under grace, set free. Now we have a choice. To who do we want to enslave ourselves? Do we want to choose to be a bond slave to sin or choose to be a bond slave to grace, to righteousness? Which one? That's our choice here. To whomever you yield, then we are its servants. Literally what Paul is saying is, don't you understand that if you yield to sin, then we are the servants, the bond slaves of sin. If we yield to Christ, then we are the servants, the bond slaves of Christ. The choice is ours. Do you want to choose to be the servant of sin or choose to be the servant of Christ? Now think about it. He's asking us to choose between two masters. Sin is a master. Christ is a master. Which of these two do you choose to submit yourself to as its servant? And we must choose one or the other. Because Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 tells us, you cannot serve two masters. For either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll love the one and hate the other. But you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve two masters. You have to choose. You have to choose to be a servant of sin or a servant of Christ. The choice is ours. Now think about this. If you choose to be a bond slave of sin, then we need to remember that sin tends to enslave you. You see, being a servant of Christ tends to free you. Have you notice that? There is great liberty, isn't there, in serving Christ. 
Isn't that Galatians? Okay, which Darren was teaching in Sunday school. And Galatians, you know, before he went to Proverbs, of course, he taught us in Galatians and about the freedom we have in Christ. You know, Paul says, I'm so surprised about how so soon you've gone away from the liberty that you have in Christ. We're set free. There is great liberty in servitude to Christ. But being a bond slave of sin tends to lead to enslavement. For instance, lie once, and the saint may be horrified. Lie a second time, and the saint will not be as horrified he was the first time. And then lie again the next time, and lying starts to seem like a natural thing to do. A natural thing to do. In other words, lying now becomes an entrapment. It enslaves us to sin. It becomes a terrible thing. Master. And the story is the same for whatever sin you want to, want to imagine. The believer becomes the slave of sin when we allow ourselves to sin, allow ourselves to be servants of sin. Sin entraps us, enslaves us in its wickedness. So Paul outlines a simple principle. If you yield to sin, if you give in to sin, to obey it, it will lead to what? Look in verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death. To obey sin, to yield ourselves as bond slaves to sin, leads to death. Or of obedience unto righteousness. If you yield ourselves in obedience to God, it leads to righteousness. Here's the choice. Death or righteousness. He's put it pretty stark for us. Here are the choices. Bond slave to Christ is righteousness. Bond slave to sin is death. Now remember, in Romans chapter 6 here, he's talking to Christians. This is not the unsaved. He's not talking to the lost here. He's talking to born again believers. Because he says in verse 2, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that as so many as you are baptized in Jesus Christ, we are baptized in death. There we were buried with him by baptism and death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. He goes on. Verse 6, knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we might not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. This is talking to believers. And he says to the believer, you have a choice. You're saved by grace. But now you choose who you want to be servants of. Where do you want, you to, where do you want to be a bond slave? Do you want to be a bond slave to sin 
which leads to death, or a bond slave to Christ, which leads to righteousness. If we yield to sin, and we obey the indwelling sin, if we obey the flesh, if we obey the temptations of the flesh, we're allowing the death process to work in us. And the truth is that whenever we yield to sin, we set off the death process in our lives. One commentator put it this way, it's like eating lollies. Every time we eat a lolly, we set off tooth decay. In other words, if we eat them, they're sweet, but all the time we eat them, we set off the decay process. If we eat good food, we promote healthy teeth. And so too, who we obey will determine the end result. The result of yielding to sin is always death. Look in verse 23. For the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. Have you ever thought about this? Romans 6.23, the verse we use for salvation verse. Okay? Along with Romans 3.23, you know, for all of sin come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death. We use it as a salvation verse. Nothing wrong with that. But the context of Romans 6.23 is to Christians. Not to the unsaved. The wages of sin is death. Isn't that what he just said in verse 16? Whether of sin unto death. And we're going to see what Romans 6.23 is all about when we get there next time. But just to say this, we can't die eternally once we're saved. So he's not talking about eternal death. We can't even die spiritually once we're saved because you who are dead and trespassed sins, hath he quickened. He's made us alive, so we're spiritually alive. So we can't die eternally now that we're saved. We can't die spiritually now that we're saved. So what does he mean by sin leads to death? What he means is this, the sin makes you and I as believers lifeless in our service to the Lord. Sin alienates us from God. It separates us from our God. Sin leads us into a behavior that is the cause of death. Now think about this. Death passed upon all men. Why? Because all men have sinned. So what's the cause of death? Sin. You and I have been delivered from death by the grace of God. We have been saved. Why then would you and I want to engage in the practice that led to the problem in the first place? Why would you and I want to engage in sin which led to the problem that caused Christ to have to die for us in the first place so you and I could experience the grace of God? Why would we as believers want to be bond slaves to the very thing that caused the problem in the first place? Well, we're nuts, aren't we? Because we do. But the reality is, we shouldn't. Because we're saved by grace. Well, the result of yielding to God is righteousness. What it means by, you know, righteousness here is carries the idea of an abundant life, a fulfilling life. The grace life 
This life that's surrendered to Christ, this bond slave ship to Christ, is a vibrant life, an exciting life, a wonderful life. It's the greatest life. It's the abundant life. There is no better life. So why would we want to be bond slaves to sin? Paul is saying that no man is free to do as he pleases. See, as believers, we've escaped the dictatorship of sin, and now we have a new ruler. We've been freed from sin, as we have said, and therefore we are made servants of Christ. But unless you and I continually make sure he has first place in our lives, then we're no longer making him our Lord, no longer making our master, and we are now becoming bond slaves to sin. He must always have first place. He must always be Lord. He must always be master. We must always seek his will and his righteousness first and foremost in our lives so that we might be bond slaves to Christ instead of becoming servants of the flesh. And when we do, then we're using our freedom we have in Christ appropriately And when we don't, then we're not using our freedom that we have in Christ that's given to us because of grace. Why yield? Because firstly, we found favor with God. Secondly, because we found or received the facts about yielding. And thirdly, because we have found freedom in Christ. Look in verse 17 and 18. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obtained from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. He starts in verse 17, he says, But God be thanked. Now why? Why is God to be thanked? Well, because what we were. In the past, we were servants, we were the slaves of sin, we were unsaved. So he says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But that's no longer the case. Note, know what happened next in verse 17. That ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Now the doctrine that was delivered of us is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. It was found all the way through Romans, just one verse, Romans 8, 32. We read this. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him be also freely give us all things? He spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all. The doctrine which we received in the heart, which was delivered to us, is the doctrine of salvation, the gospel. And he says here, the Romans, what they have done, they have believed from the heart the doctrine of the gospel of salvation. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 tells us that's how you get saved. Romans 10, 9, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Salvation comes by believing in the heart the gospel of God. And so, God's to be thanked Because once we were the bond slaves of sin, but now we have obeyed from the heart, we've received the gospel, 
and we be delivered from that bondage. They were slaves of sin until they obeyed the gospel call. And then what happened? Verse 18. Being made free from sin, he became the servants of righteousness. Being then made free, meaning this happened to us at a particular point in time, we have been made free. We have been made free. That's verse 18. Having been made free from sin. That's salvation. That's Romans chapter 6. That's Romans chapter 7. That's Romans chapter 8. We have been set free from sin. That's salvation. And it happened the moment you and I believe. Go with me to John, please. John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 31. John 8, 31. Then Jesus said to the Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we are never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. We've been made free. We've been set free. The truth is that when we were saved, we were released from the penalty and released from the dictatorship of sin. Being then, it says, being then made free from sin, made free from slavery, at the time of salvation, we became the slaves of righteousness. We were brought out of the slavery to sin by the blood of Jesus Christ and made the slaves of God. Isn't what that 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 and 20 says? What? No, you're not. That you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and spirit which are his. We are bought with a price. Paul is saying here there is something that has in fact, happened to us. Beloved, we're under new management. There's a big sign on us. It's under new management. We once were the slaves of sin, but we have been delivered from sin by Christ. We're now no longer on His dominion. We are under new management. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our Master. Sin was our former Master. God is our new master. Therefore, we should yield ourselves to him and obey him. Now, having declared what is true for us of salvation, Paul goes on in the rest of the chapter to show what should be the result of this aspect of our salvation, of this being bond slaves to Christ in Romans 6, verses 19 to 23, which we'll see next time. So don't panic. Not going to go on there. Okay, that's next time. But tonight, in conclusion, as we consider these three instructions by way of answering the question why we should yield to God, why should we yield to God? We need to realize that we need to yield to God because we have found favor with God by His grace. We need to yield ourselves to God and the righteous because we have found or received the facts about yielding. 
But to who we yield ourselves, to whoever we choose to yield ourselves to, they're the ones that we become bond slaves to. And because we've found freedom in Christ, Christ has set us free from the bondage of sin to deliver us unto the leadership, the dominion, the lordship of Christ. Remember that we've been set free from the dominion of sin in our lives and that we are to surrender ourselves as servants to Christ. For only as we yield ourselves to Christ can we truly have an abundant life this side of glory. The question then is this. Whose servants, whose bond slaves are we? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this night for your word. We thank you for Romans chapter 6. We thank you, Father God, for his instruction. Lord, help us as believers to choose to be bond slaves, servants of righteousness unto God. Our servants have gone to righteousness, Father, that we might indeed not be servants of sin unto death, but servants of righteousness unto God, to your glory. Help us to choose, Father God, to yield unto you, that you might receive all the praise and all the glory in our lives, and we might indeed have the victory. Bless now as we close this night, we pray. It's safe to travel home in Jesus' name. Amen.